Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zora. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa and Tabisolo Hoku. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sour. South Africa mourns the passing of broadcasting legend Bob Mabena. Presumptive Democratic U.S. presidential nominee Joe Biden expected to announce his running mate this week amidst expectations that it will be a black woman. And in economics news, Kenya's Agriculture Cabinet Secretary wants millers to process the imported Mexican maize in Mombasa to cut transport costs. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musa. Zimbabwean opposition party, the MDC Alliance, claims they've been snubbed by South African President Cyril Ramaphosa's special envoys to that country. Sydney Mufumadi and Pale Kambete were scheduled to meet party leaders on Sunday, but the meeting was cancelled. The envoys were tasked by the president to meet with all relevant parties in relation to recent allegations of human rights violations, including police brutality in Zimbabwe, Noma Bulani reports. The MDC Alliance claimed they waited the whole day for the special envoys, only to receive the cancellation message late in the day. It says they were informed the pair would be returning to South Africa without honouring the meeting. MDC Alliance accuses the ruling party, ZANU-PF, of persuading Mufamadi and Betsy to not engage opposition parties. It says Zimbabwe is in crisis and is in a de facto state of emergency. The opposition says it will continue to pressurize government to engage in dialogue in order to resolve the current tough times. The Department of Sports, Arts and Culture has described the passing of South African broadcasting veteran Bob Mabena as a loss to the creative industry. Mabena died of suspected cardiac arrest on Monday after a short stay in a Johannesburg hospital at the weekend. He was 51. Mabena celebrated over 30 years in the industry this year after hosting his first radio show in 1989. Department spokesperson Masichaba Antlovo. Mabena was renowned for television and radio as an icon. Bob Mabena wove a remarkable thread across the tapestry of the South African media landscape. He was a giant who left an indelible mark in music, arts, and in broadcasting. Rest in peace, Bob the Jammer Mabena. The creative sector has certainly lost a diamond. The number of people across the globe to have been infected with the coronavirus has now surpassed the 20 million mark. More than a quarter of all cases have been recorded in the U.S. Over 734,000 people have died from COVID-19-related illnesses. South Africa remains in the top five list of countries with the most coronavirus cases. The BBC's Emily Euler reports. Nearly five months since the global pandemic was declared, many countries around the world are still struggling to control the spread of the virus. Along with the US, Brazil, India, Russia and South Africa are also suffering huge outbreaks. 
It was first recorded late last year in the Chinese city of Wuhan. Since then, more than 700,000 people have died from COVID-19. But researchers say both infections and deaths may be underreported in some parts of the world, like Brazil. Global restrictions have had a huge impact on the world's economy. The International Monetary Fund says it will be the worst recession since the Great Depression of the 1930s. Large cracks have reportedly appeared in the hull of a cargo ship which is leaking oil in Mauritius, prompting authorities to warn the ship may break into two pieces. The MV Wakashio, believed to have been carrying 4,000 tons of fuel oil, ran aground on a coral reef off the Indian Ocean island last month. Despite bad weather, officials say 500 tons of oil has been safely pumped out, but the country is preparing for oil to spill onto the shore. The Prime Minister of Lebanon, Hassan Diab, has announced the resignation of his entire cabinet following last Tuesday's disastrous explosion in Beirut. In an angry address to the nation, Diab lashed out at what he calls a corrupt political establishment, which he suggests it has endlessly hampered the work of his administration. The government has been under intense pressure to step aside in the aftermath of the blast, the BBC's Karen Tobey reports. Of course, this is going to be seen as a step forward in the struggle of the protesters against the political elite. But this is not everything they want, because their problem is not with this current government as such. Their problem is with the decades of mismanagement, of negligence, of uh, corruption. And there is a political elite that has been governing this country for decades, with some differences with people staying being on power for longer than others. But in general, people are associating the whole political elite with corruption. And finally, in sports news, New Zealand cricket says Pakistan, Australia, Bangladesh and the West Indies had all confirmed they will tour during the upcoming home season despite the coronavirus pandemic. New Zealand cricket chief executive David White says isolation arrangements for the visiting teams were still being worked out with officials in Wellington, but the tours would proceed. White declined to release schedules of the tours until details had been worked out. All international arrivals into New Zealand are currently required to spend at least 14 days in strictly supervised quarantine, but New Zealanders domestically are enjoying a near-normal pre-coronavirus lifestyle with no social distancing and spectators allowed at sports and cultural events. The South Pacific country has recorded only 22 coronavirus deaths in a population of 5 million and this week marked 100 days since its last case of community transmission. That's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus, for Channel Africa in Kinshasa in the DRC, I'm Jean-Noël Bamweze. Stay informed on the latest developments about COVID-19. Visit the World Health Organization's website to get more information. 
Thank you, Anne. It's 7.07 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our tributes are pouring in for veteran South African broadcaster Bob Mabena, who died of suspected cardiac arrest yesterday after a short stay in a Johannesburg hospital at the weekend. Mabena had been discharged earlier yesterday before his condition deteriorated, after which he was rushed back to hospital before his passing. He was 51. Mabena celebrated over over 30 years in the industry this year after hosting his first radio show in 1989 before going on to debut on TV and releasing his own music. Fans have taken to social media to remember the radio and TV icon. Zolega Kotashe looks back at the life of the broadcasting icon. The mic has been hung. Bob Mabena took a final bow to a South African audience that still yearns for more, a passing that's in shockwaves through the country, a legend whose love for radio spanned over three decades. This might sound cliche, but, but it's the passion for it. And, and I think it's the fact that when I started, when I was in matric, there was no confusion about what I wanted to do. There was no, maybe I could do this, or that it what was always going to be radio. The jammer, as Mabena was popularly known, touched the hearts of South Africans in the 90s when he began his career as a radio host. Mabena cemented himself as a broadcaster that set the tone for future radio personalities. His former station manager, Tapelo Tibe, says South Africa has lost an authentic talent and recalls Mabena's humble beginning. Bob came for an interview for presenter on Radio Bob uh, while I was stage manager. And he quite uh, surprised because he was uh, very intelligent, cool, and very creative. Normally we would interview people and only tell them later that they have done it in the interview. But Bob was so good that uh, we did not end, uh, wait for that period. But right away after the interview, we told him that uh, he was hired. And also he did not disappoint us on air. He went on to become uh, one of our best DJs. So we are really sorry to have lost him. May his family be comforted. Mabena's time on radio earned him exposure on the SABC studio mix, among others. In 1996, Mabena would move on to other radio stations for a short period before returning to the SABC as the executive manager of Metro FM, 5FM and Good Hope FM. Radio personality Ike Patha, a friend and colleague of the late Mabena, has described him as a humble and passionate radio and TV personality. Patha worked closely with Mabena, has reflected on a life well lived. We have lost uh, a great broadcaster. Bob had a great personality. He was full of confidence. He was joining an illustrious lineup of broadcasters. And he was immensely talented, not only on radio, but on television as well. Many will recall that he was also a performing artist with the likes of Dr. Kumalo. He was a club DJ, so he was an all-rounder. Tributes have poured in on social media. Fans have used their platforms to remember the radio and TV icon. Media personality Vusi Lizualo has echoed the sentiments of some fans, describing Mabena as a humble legend. That's a very interesting thing about Bob. Like, um, I don't think he's ever felt that he's bigger than anybody else. He's always been a humble guy, you know. What Bob was like on the radio would be the same kind of person that you meet outside the radio as well. He was as humble as 
you know, as you can believe, he, he never thought he was bigger than anybody else. He never thought bigger and better than anybody else. He was just the same time. He was just having fun, whether it be in the morning show or whether it be the drive time show. He was just, he was one humble guy that I know. In 2012, Pretoria-born Mabena was inducted into the Radio Awards Hall of Fame after an illustrious career in the industry. Radio consultant Lance Rothschild worked closely with Mabena when he began working at what was then Radio Metro. I was very fortunate to meet Bob very early in his career when he came across to Radio Metro as it was then before it became Metro FM. So we were essentially colleagues and across the passage from one another and just got to see Bob grow in his career, watched him grow, and he was just always a bubbly, lively, vibrant personality. You know, he always seemed to have boundless energy as well. You know, he's cast a bigger shadow than his than himself over the industry. He's always been very thoughtful, very kind person. I saw him give a lot of instruction to younger people and mentor and help and train younger people. Very generous in spirit, and his passing is really, really sad. It's a big loss for the entire radio industry. Mabena, a mentor for many, was committed to the development and upliftment of young people. There is no time. There really is no time. So don't be distracted. Once you've found your niche, your passion and something that you want to do, don't be distracted. Get it done. Get it done well. All I knew, knew was that I wanted to do it. One needs to really focus and get in there and make sure that if the door is not open, you use the back door. In an interview with SABC News just last year, Mabena had this to say on his life. And I say to my kids, well, you know, should anything happen to me between now and tomorrow, every day I say this when, I, when they give me time to, never grieve because, my goodness, I, I have lived. I'm Zolega Kodashim in Johannesburg. The party, the party is in your mind, so fly and drive, come on. In the U.S., presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden is expected to announce his running mate this week amidst expectations that it will be a black woman. Several shortlists are doing the rounds and include the likes of former Georgian gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams, California Senator Kamala Harris, and Congresswoman Corin Bass from the same state. But New York-based political analyst Professor Christina Greer believes that Biden Choosing a woman of color is not a fair accompli, despite the growing pressure on him to do so. Show and Rice Peace reports. One week out from the beginning of what will be a virtual Democratic convention due to the COVID-19 pandemic, all eyes are on the former vice president and who he'll pick to fill the shoes he wore during the Barack Obama administration. Once he announces, I mean, obviously there'll be a lot of scrutiny uh, as to who he's selected. Listen to political scientist Professor Christina Greer. In many ways, Joe Biden has had just an embarrassment of riches. There have been several women that he has has been debating about. Um, he did say that he was going to choose a female vice president. We know that in 1984, Walter Mondale chose Geraldine Ferraro. Uh, and then in 2016, Hillary Clinton, the female nominee, chose Tim Kaine. So this is the third time that we'll see a Democratic uh, Party ticket with a male and a female on the among the women he's considering, former California Attorney General and current Senator Kamala Harris, who also ran for the Democratic nomination, Congresswoman Karen Bass of California, and the current chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, or Susan Rice, 
the former UN ambassador and Obama's national security advisor. There will definitely be disappointment uh, if Joe Biden does not choose a black woman. However, the existential threat that Donald Trump poses, not just to black Americans, but to all Americans and honestly to the world, makes it such that uh, many people will be disappointed and may hold their noses, but still go to the polls. We might see a small fraction of voters abstaining, which is quite dangerous because in this particular election, an abstention could mean a vote for Donald Trump in many ways. So we need, Democrats need as many people to turn out as possible. Uh, but I don't think it'll be as detrimental just because the current president has been so anti-Black, uh, so patriarchal, uh, so white nationalist in so many of his policies. Professor Greer, who teaches political science at Fordham University and is the author of Black Ethnics, Race, Immigration and the Pursuit of the American Dream, believes Biden might consider a strategic geographic choice like someone from the Midwest, which represents key states in any proposed victory come November. If Joe Biden does decide to choose someone who is not a black woman, he will have to quickly frame and articulate why it is he made that choice. Maybe it'll be a geographic choice. There's a conversation about, say, Megan Whitmer, who's the governor of Michigan. Uh, so that may be a strategic choice, not just for the state of Michigan, but for the region, since Donald Trump won Michigan and Wisconsin, the neighboring state. Uh, if he chooses someone like Tammy Baldwin, who's a senator from Wisconsin, she again would be someone who could deliver a key state and also help bolster the region and she's openly LGBTQ+. Greer says Stacey Abrams is her top choice, a voting rights activist who served in the Georgia State House of Representatives and narrowly lost the 2018 gubernatorial race in an election marred by accusations of voter suppression. Greer also pushes back on views that Abrams doesn't have government experience. And that's what people say, and I, I disagree, because when Stacey Abrams was minority House leader, so that means she was the head of the Democrats in the state house in Georgia, she had to work with extremely conservative white male Republicans, akin to something that we've seen in the Senate. And she was able, she reminds me of Lyndon Johnson. She was able to understand the rules and then work with people across the aisle to explain to them why it's beneficial for them to pass a bill or to not pass a bill. And so her negotiation skills uh, when she was minority leader were really something that I think Joe Biden could use in this moment. I also think that he has to choose someone who's good at two things. He has to choose someone who's good at campaigning and governance. Others under consideration include Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois, who lost both her legs as a former lieutenant colonel in the US Army. Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, and Congresswoman Val Demings of Florida. Joe Biden, with all the cards and keeping them, for now, close to his chest. I'm Sherman Bryce Spears in New York. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Cabinet has decided that all public schools should take a break for the next four weeks. Now, this has also been the experience in a number of other countries where schools have opened and have also had to close due to the circumstances that each country has had to confront. This means that schools will be closed from the 27th July and will reopen on the 24th of August. Channel Africa.
In each and every one of us, there, there is a purpose and grace. We were all meant to shine. It is up to an individual to, to realize, realize that, that purpose. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Join me, Amanda Machaga, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you to, to live your life, life by design. design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose, dose of Monday, Monday motivation every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and at 2 a.m. the following day. Life, life by, by design, design, be the architect of your life. life. Only on Channel Africa, the African, the African perspective. perspective. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus COVID-19 for Channel Africa in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, I'm Coletta Wanjohi. Once contaminated, hands can transfer the virus to your eyes, nose or mouth. From there, the virus can enter your body and make you sick. It's 7.20 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our South Africa is mourning the death of legendary radio veteran Bob Mabena this morning. News of the passing of the multi-talented radio jockey has sent shockwaves across the southern African nation. Mabena has for three decades given South Africans many memories during his illustrious career in the broadcast industry. Apart from being an inspirational radio jockey, he has been a presenter on various television shows, featured in a hit song with soccer star Dr. Kumalo and held various management positions in the industry. Before his untimely death, he was on Power FM's breakfast show. Our senior reporter at Power FM, Ndaezo Netonje, joins us on the line to speak to us about the fallen legend. Ndaezo, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on this sad period and condolences to you and Power FM. Yeah, morning, Lulu. Indeed, it's a very sad morning, um, you know, losing someone of that caliber, um, you know, someone that we all looked up to. It's a, it's a very, very sad morning for our power uh, listeners and the power family and uh, the nation as a whole. Now, talk to us about, uh, you know, you working with uh, the legendary Bob Mabena. We, we've all been watching him um, growing up and just seeing his, his career evolve. And, you know, seeing him being in managerial positions and then going back behind the mic. You know, tell us about this person that you work, worked with. Yeah, so um, I, I've known Bob for at least the past 14 years or so. We started working together at uh, Kaya FM at the time. And um, he is someone that respected his craft and uh, was always very much accessible. Uh, Over time, me and him um, built a brotherhood relationship where um, even before his show started, we would work um, early morning shifts together when he was doing the breakfast show at Kaya. And um, we would stand in the kitchen and he would give you that brotherly advice, not only um, related to the industry, but also at a personal level. Um, he was someone that um, whoever inside uh, or the building where he worked would be able to have access to him. Um, he never held himself um, a, 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 a above everyone else. And the way that is being celebrated today um, you know, uh, it just goes to show how much of a legend he was. At, at, at Power FM, you know, um, he was a station manager. Uh, when he called me and said, I need you to come and work uh, at Power
Power FM and uh, I joined him again and we rejoined forces, but we have not lost contact. And he is he, someone that above everything would wake up every morning and you would feel the aura whenever I got behind the mic. And uh, at a personal level, he was a man that uh, loved his family and his children. And I so have you had opportunity to to speak to the family at any point in time? I need, I know it's still very early, and this happened uh, only yesterday. Um, you know, but uh, have you managed to speak to any of the the children with uh, just looking at the, the the relationship that you had with him? Uh, so what um, I took as a personal uh, decision was to give them space because um, it, it came as a shock to. To, to, to all of us um, and um, you know at a time like this you wouldn't know what to say to a family that um, lost someone like this unexpectedly um, I tried to make some phone calls but um, understandably so I couldn't uh, reach anyone but uh, as far as uh, the the, the, the um, environment at powerhouse uh, where the power 987 studios are it's a it's a very very sad morning and our that family which was also his family um, is going through a lot Um, right now as we speak and as i speak to you um, he was supposed to have been behind the mic uh, presenting his breakfast show and uh, his chair that chair that he set on every morning um, with that legendary voice is empty and um, it can't be and, and I think it's going to take a long 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 time for us to uh, get over what has happened indeed a legendary legendary um, um, you know industry person I think everyone has been affected everyone who came across him or spoke to him um, you know speaking to colleagues here at uh, Channel Africa um, uh, you know it, it everyone is, is just going through the motions of, of their experiences with uh, uh, Bob Mabena and uh, but I want to also touch on that infectious laugh yeah <laughs> 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 Even if you didn't, you you didn't hear or uh, or get to understand what he was saying, uh, people would generally end up laughing because of the way he just laughed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, every morning, uh, that show would never end without having him laugh out loud, and that's who he was. You know, he didn't uh, just laugh behind the mic. Even when uh, the microphones were switched off and you were having a conversation with him, um, he had uh, this humorous uh, side of him that uh, many people and uh, us, the young ones who came after him, you know, found to have been welcoming. It's it's, it's that laughter, actually, Lulu, that uh, made him accessible, you know, especially for a person at... Uh, station manager position in a uh, you know a, a big radio station like that. Uh, some would find it intimidating to to walk there, but when he had that laughter and he would walk walk to uh, people's desks uh, uh, early in the morning, that the guys that were working in the breakfast shift, because I was in the newsroom, um, he would uh, go and say, "Exeme bra, mo," you know, with that uh, Pretoria accent, and then after that laugh out loud so 
Yeah, um, those are some of the things that one is going to, to, to really miss about him. And for those that didn't know, um, you know, Bob loved his, um, Jack Daniels and, uh, they even uh, would sit and make him uh, give a special uh, bottles. And those are just simple things. Him loving Tupac Shakur, you know, uh, traveling to the United States to see Tupac Shakur's mom after Tupac's uh, passing away in 1997. So there's just so many things that one would think that why would even a man of this caliber go to that length and it's just who he was, uh, a person who uh, was loved by many, and he was just a normal guy. Didn't mind taking pictures with, with his fans at events. And yeah, so... Yeah, we've seen it. we've seen the many tributes that have, um, you know, been been pouring in uh, across all social media platforms, and uh, it is a loss for um, the nation and 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 a lot of uh, countries on the African continent also having access to um, the same platforms in terms of television and broadcasting um, on the continent, listening to our radio stations and uh, you know watching him on television many years ago. So um, it is a loss. For for the whole nation and I think uh, the continent as well. Daezo, condolences to you and uh, the Power family. And, uh, you know, um, you are in our thoughts and prayers uh, together with his uh, family and his, his children and, uh, you know, across the board. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you very much. That is uh, Ndaezo Netonje. He is a senior reporter at uh, Power FM, where the legendary Bob Mabena worked um, as a, a, a morning show presenter and a station manager. It's 7.29 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. There's nothing good about alcohol. Alcohol is destructive. Alcohol destroys families. Alcohol destroys life. Alcohol contributes to unprotected sex and spreading of diseases. Alcohol contributes to domestic violence abuse of children and women. Channel Africa. It's 7.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musa. On the headlines, at least 70 people are feared to have been killed in clashes between civilians and government forces in the northern part of South Sudan. Zimbabwean opposition party, the MDC Alliance, claims they've been snubbed by South African President Cyril Ramaphosa's special envoys to that country. And the Department of Sports, Arts and Culture has described the passing of South African broadcasting veteran Bob Mabena as a loss to the creative industry. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. 
More than 30 leaders of the Sengwe, Kenya's indigenous people, are on their way to the capital, Nairobi, to officially seek recognition from government as a tribe in the country of 42 tribes. Their decision to seek recognition comes a day after the marking of International Day of the World's Indigenous People. James Shimangula reports. The Sengwe, with an estimated population of 33,000, claim that they are currently a marginalized community and face significant threats to their identity and ancestral land in Kenya's Rift Valley region west of the capital Nairobi. International human rights organizations as well as United Nations and the Kenya Human Rights Commission recognize the same way as indigenous people, the East African nation of Kenya is one of 90 countries in the world that has indigenous people. They belong to an ethnic group known as the Sengwe and live in the Embobut Forest in the Ligeo Marakwet County in the North Rift Valley region west of the capital Nairobi. Over the past 50 years, the Kenya government, through its Forest Service Guards, has carried out a series of forceful eviction of the Sangwe from Emberboot, attesting to the fact that forceful evictions have been taking place is one of Sangwe elders, Justin Kipto, aged 56. We have been having this problem of uh, evictions since we were very young boys. Our rights were violated. And all along, we have been having a lot of challenges, right away from human rights violations, killings. 62-year-old Alex Kipkenboy, another Sangwe elder, claims that Emberboot Forest is the indigenous people's ancestral land. The forest, the natural resources, our ancestral land forms part of our identity. Sangwe people have been farming these areas for many years. Jennifer Wasike, a human rights defender and social worker in the Rift Valley region where Emberboot Forest is located, discloses the current situation there. The situation in the forest is quite hostile and very violent. There's a lot of shooting, there's a lot of burning of houses. KFS has been burning houses. KFS is the Kenya Forest Service that is responsible for conservation forests in this country. They've been forcing people out of that forest so violently through shooting, through beating and arrests. They purport that uh, they want people out of that forest so that they can be able to conserve. Irungu Houghton, executive director of the Nairobi branch of the London-based human rights organization Amnesty International, sums up the struggle of the Sengwere people. Indigenous people are grappling with COVID-19. They're also grappling with the tension and violence that comes with their removal from their traditional lands. The Sengwe have grappled against forced evictions, violence, and also commercial logging of their forests. The Sengwe struggle to maintain their own culture and access to the forest. Many of them would like to be conservators and to work with government on conserving the forests. We pay tribute to their courage and to their commitment. We wish them more courage and strength to continue fighting for their rights. Irungu Houghton, executive director of the Nairobi branch of the London-based human rights organization Amnesty International, as the Sengwere people fight for their rights, they have not been officially recognized by the government as one of Kenya's 42 tribes. The Mbabut Forest, where the Sengwere live, 
covers 22,000 hectares registered as a protected public forest during the colonial days in 1954. The forest is one of Kenya's water catchment areas. Latest statistics show that the world has nearly 5 million indigenous people, making up over 6% of the global population of 7.8 billion and 15% of people classified as extremely poor. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. It's 7.36 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Salvage crews are racing against time to prevent a second disastrous oil spill off the picture-perfect coastline of Mauritius with a damaged tanker carrying thousands of tons of fuel at risk of splitting apart. The bulk carrier MV Wakashio ran aground on July the 25th with 4,000 tons of fuel aboard and began seeping oil last week. For an update on this, we are now joined on the line from Mauritius by former Greenpeace strategist Sunil Doakasing. Sunil, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, everybody. Now, how would you describe the area where the tanker is grounded? We've seen visuals um, on television news where, um, you know, it looks black and darkened, which is a totally different picture of what we have of Mauritius. In fact, uh, the wreckage took place in one of the most beautiful and the largest lagoon of, of the island, which is situated in the southeast coast, not very far from the airport. So this lagoon, Mayberg Lagoon, is very specific in itself because it houses like uh, four major marine ecosystems. Uh, two of them are Ramsar sites, which are protected by law. You have the Blue Bay Marine Park, and then you have the Point Destiny Mangrove Plantation. But apart from that, you have a small islet, which is around two kilometers from the wreck, uh, which is a biodiversity conservation island restored in its very indigenous state, like it used to be 150 years, 200 years ago. But that small islet also is the house to uh, endangered uh, uh, indigenous species like reptiles and all. So, and the lagoon itself, it's a, this lagoon was a sand quarry until 2001 when sand extraction was banned. So there was completely no, no marine life in this lagoon. But then recently, three or four years, we, see, we saw all corals, seagrass and all started regenerating in this whole lagoon. So I'm afraid now this whole four major marine ecosystems in the region of the, of the wreckage might have already been impacted. We don't know the level, the degree of, of pollution right now, but certainly it has been impacted. Now, Sunil, the 25th of July and, uh, you know, weeks later, then uh, the, the wreckage starts to happen. Why was there, is there any reason why there was a delay with regards to ensuring that, uh, um, you know, the ship is, is kind of steered away? What are the reasons behind the, the delay? Well, this is, a, this is the main question that everybody is asking, that the ship was there and, 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 and 12 days no action was taken. Uh, probably uh, no action was taken, I would like to be precise, by the Mauritian government. But on the sign from the, from the ship company direction, they are, they, they've started mobiliz- mobilizing resources to try to move the ship out. Probably that was one of the reasons why, uh, th- why nothing was done by the Mauritian government, which uh, I deplore, in fact. Um, and I deplore very strongly the fact that we took no action 
these 12 days that the ship were on the reefs, had we taken the proper action, which I stated in the very first day. Day one, I stated on the media that the first thing we should do is like abide by precautionary principle. Whatever happened to the ship, let's protect our lagoon, let's protect our shoreline, let's protect the livelihood of our people by removing the oil. The only danger at that stage was oil spillage. So by removing the oil from the tanks, we would have already prevented this massive ecological crisis at this stage. But 12 days, nothing was done. Probably based on expert advice that they might be able to put the ship afloat back on the waters. I, I, I think that could have been the main reason. Why now, what needs to be done urgently to, to prevent further damage to the environment, especially considering the fact that now, um, you know, um, the, the, the ship itself seems to be breaking or falling apart? Well, the good news is that um, the leakage has stopped like two or three days ago, huh? because uh, the remaining in the, in the damaged tank, there are three tanks on the ship. One of the damaged tanks where the leakage started, I mean, that leak, the old oil has been removed. So there has been no leakage for the last two days, which is a very good thing. But the bad news is that probably now the ship, the way the breaks, the, the, the leaks are going on, and, 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 and they're, all, they're all probability that the ship might break into two. And there's still like 2,500 ton, metric tons of, of oil, fuel oil on the ship, which uh, the authorities started removing yesterday uh, in a very, in a very I, I would say, in a very good way because there was a tanker for the first time we saw a tanker close by uh, the ship and there was like pumping right from the ship thanks to the tanker. So if that operation succeeds and hopefully we, we manage to remove the 2,500 metric tons remaining from the ship and if it breaks, the damage will be limited. Let's speak about in terms the, of oil spill. Huh? Sorry, uh, no, no problem, Sunil. Now let's let's speak about the impact on on the tourism sector with regards to um, you know people coming in, and uh, as you mentioned, that's one of the most beautiful parts of Mauritius, and uh, you know with uh, the marine life returning in terms of uh, you spoke of the ecosystem and and so on. What does this do for the tourism sector? Well, definitely, first of all, globally and internationally, the tourism sector uh, would be affected because the image that is being projected today is like Mauritius is being hit by an oil spill. But it's only part of it. It's just like the, the, the southeast and eastern coast. And luckily, we don't have any sandy beaches being impacted so far, luckily. So uh, the tourism industry will be certainly affected by this factor. This is one. This, uh, the, 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 the pushback against the, the image of, of being a tourist destination now being hit by an oil spill. This is one. But secondly, also in this particular uh, lagoon, which I say the Mayberg Lagoon, it's a historical place. You know, everything uh, during colonial days happened here. This is where the first Dutch people landed, and this is where the British took over in a naval battle from the French. So there is a lot of these historical monuments. There is a lot of these a historical old forts around in the region on small islets, which is a major attraction to tourists. So a lot of tourists goes around. So that might be affected. Pleasure craft, people earning their living uh, by taking these people around. There's very nice snorkeling spots around where, where a lot of people used to and love to dive. So all that will be impacted at this stage. And certainly there will be a major social impact because those, there will be like more than three, 4,000 people earning their living, uh, especially from, from, from the ocean, from the lagoon here. They will be impacted socially as well. 
because they will be deprived of their livelihood, I don't know for how many months. Uh, a proper assessment will tell us uh, what is the extent of damage. I can't say it at this stage. We need to have a proper assessment to know how and to what extent marine life, the marine ecosystem, the corals has been affected. But for sure, the shoreline is heavily impacted at this stage. And now, Sunil, very quickly, just in wrapping up, um, you know, we, you don't have definites with regards to how, how what has been affected and how much of, as you mentioned, the coral and, and, and so on um, have been affected. In terms of, um, you know, the, the cleanup operation, how long does it normally take for a cleanup operation, um, you know, having seen other, other areas also being affected by oil spills and some still um, feeling the effects of the oil spills years later? Do you think it's possible that uh, that lagoon will be cleared up and, and uh, you know, back to its normal status? It will be cleared up but it will never regain its normal status. That's for sure. We will try to limit and bring it to its original state. That will never happen because we won't be able to touch each and every corner that has been polluted. So that's for sure. And especially in this particular region, the difficulty will arise with the fact that we have a lot of mangrove plantations and it's very difficult to remove oil uh, spillage or, uh, you know, oil pollution from mangrove plantation. So, I don't think we will be able to return this region back to normal, but we will try our best to make it as beautiful as it it used to be. And at some point in time, will, um, you know, the owners of the ship be held to account? Of course, definitely, and they will have to. Uh, I can tell you already Greenpeace Japan is putting a lot of pressure on, on, on the company there. My former colleagues reach out to me, say there's a lot of pressure in Japan only on the company. And this issue now has become an international issue. They will have to they will have to come up with restoration plan. They will have to pay experts, and they will have to take care of uh, of all these losses that the country is encountering at the moment. After a proper assessment, of course. Sunil, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. That's uh, former Greenpeace strategist Sunil Doakasin joining us on the line from Mauritius. It is 7.45 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. There is nothing good about alcohol. Alcohol is destructive. Alcohol destroys families. Alcohol destroys life. Alcohol contributes to unprotected sex and spreading of diseases. Alcohol 
contributes to domestic violence, abuse of children and women. Channel Africa. Kenya says at least 2 million people who directly depend on the tourism industry have lost their livelihoods, but who are they? Sarah Kimani brings a story of the effects of the coronavirus pandemic on the industry. Fifty-year-old Absalom Wawero, a tour driver and guide, is on his first game drive in five months. Not out of choice, but his job, just like millions of others in Kenya's tourism industry, has been affected by the coronavirus pandemic. It has been very tough for me uh, since uh, my last assignment was in February. And uh, yes, for us, most of us are in rental houses. You have children who are in school, they need to eat. And uh, for the children, they don't know what is happening. Uh, it's only that they came out of school. They depend on you, so it has been very tough since then. Since February, you since have February. not worked at all? I have not worked at all. Between July and September every year, millions of wildebeest and zebras migrate from neighboring Tanzania Serengeti Game Reserve across the border into Kenya's Masai Mara Game Reserve. Making this the Masai Mara's high season for tourists. This year, Waweru has only had memories of how good business was during the last eight migrations. This one is different. So it has never, this, this is the first time in uh, the tourism industry or in my history. In my lifetime, I've never seen something like this that has stopped everything from working, not only working, even doing whatever, whatever small you can do, even at home. Luca Olekanti, a 20-year-old local tour guide, agrees with him. In the past, business was so good that Olekanti was able to buy his own tour vehicle and on a good day, he makes $170 guiding international tourists through the park. There is no money. We blame it on the coronavirus pandemic. The coronavirus-related travel restrictions have nearly ground Kenya's tourism industry to a halt, denying the country's economy at least 80% of the revenue, according to Najib Balala, the cabinet secretary for tourism in the country. We have no international tourism. What we have is just we have just opened up for the local tourism. Kenya is now rethinking its tourism market and products. This weekend, the country's tourism board entered an agreement with world marathon record holder Eliud Kipchoge and listing him as Kenya's brand ambassador. And tell the world that we are now open and please visit uh, Mara. Millions will be watching him like they do during the big races, hoping just like in the big races, he will bag more tourists to Kenya. Sarah Kimani at the Masai Mara Game Reserve in Arok County. Good morning. You're listening to Channel Africa. My name is Tabisolo Huku, and it's time for an economic update. 
In Botswana, interest rates are at an all-time low, but domestic businesses have found access to credit a bit tight. With the bank rate at 4.75%, an all-time low, there was high expectation that businesses will take up more credit to spur economic activity that has been thwarted by COVID-19 containment measures. However, local firms surveyed by Bank of Botswana perceived access to credit to be tight. Traders say in Kenya, the shilling has inched down on Monday due to demand for hard currencies by importers, including those from the energy sector. In Cote d'Ivoire, cocoa arrivals at ports have reached 2.004 million tonnes between the 1st of October and the 31st of July, down 6.4% from the same period last season. In Algeria, the energy minister Abdelhamid Atta says the gas exports will drop to 26 billion to 30 billion cubic meters per year in 2025 from 45 billion in 2020. Kenya's Agriculture Cabinet Secretary Peter Munya wants millers to process the imported Mexican maize in the coastal city of Mombasa to cut transport costs, dampening hopes by processes that the state will waive 14% import duty to make it affordable. Munya says waiving off duty to zero is a decision that can only be taken by the cabinet and that he does not foresee that happening. Millers have imported 1.2 million bags of maize with most of them failing to collect it, citing high cost when transport cost to Nairobi is added. The Namibian government will auction off its fishing quotas on an open market to raise the funds to mitigate the effects of the novel coronavirus on the public health sector. Fisheries Minister Albert Gawana says that the industry must prepare itself for the auction. Gawana said that the government intends to auction off quotas for the three fish species, horse mackerel, hake and monk. Apple's chief executive, Tim Cook, has moved into the billionaire club as the tech firm's share price continues to soar. Apple's market value has been on the rise following strong results and the upbeat outlook for tech giants. Cook owns nearly 848,000 shares directly and took home more than $125 million last year as a part of his pay package. Technology companies including Apple, Facebook and Amazon have seen their profits grow during the coronavirus pandemic as more people went online. The US dollar is trading at 381.62 Nigerian Nara, 11.56 Botswana Pula, 107.2 Kenyan Shilling and 18.40 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar is trading. In Brazil, 5 roll of 43. In Russia, 73 rubles of 52. In India, 74 rupees 72. In China, a dollar is changing hands at 6 yuan 96. And in South Africa, it will cost you 17 rand 69. The US dollar is also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and 84 cents to euro. Looking at commodities, gold at $2,035, platinum at $955 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $44.58 a barrel. Africa rise and shine.
Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai February South Africa Rise and Shine today for myself Lulu Gabu, producer Luanda Maume, technical producer Wiseman Mangele and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an e- email at info channelafrica.co.za or WhatsApp on plus two seven seven six three double zero double three two seven or tweet us at Channel Africa One. I'll take us to the top of the hour for the news is Get Funky by radio legend Bob Mabena, who passed away yesterday. In this song, he collaborates with football legend Dr. Kumala. Goodbye and stay safe. We got Bob Mabena in the house bringing back memories. <laughs>
Yes, I got it. We've got the fuck. Hey. 